what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. To me, one of the things we always need to be mindful of is that statistics are not simply statistics. They are people. And they are the people that we love and the people who love us. I just kind of believe in my heart of hearts that he knew he wasn't long for this earth. So he lived every single moment to the extreme. Paul had just an infectious smile. It was hard to be grumpy around him because he was just never in a, in a bad mood. He loved school, he loved life, and just everything about it. It just is one second your life is happy, normal, the next second it's been ripped to shreds. And we, we just don't want more families going through that. You do learn to, to move forward. You, you know, you will survive. You will laugh again. Welcome to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. I'm your host, Tom Everson, and today I'm speaking with Beth Norris and Doug and Sherry Troop. We're recording remote today. Uh, Doug and Sherry are joining us from Phoenix and uh, Beth from right here in uh, Omaha, our hometown. And I'm joining you right from the world headquarters of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 in the basement of our home in Omaha. I always like to say that we keep the overhead low. It's about seven and a half feet high in the basement. So that's where we're joining you today in respect to uh, social distancing. Anyway, let's jump in and see where Beth's and Doug's and Sherry's stories take us, uh, along with the conversation that unfolds from that. So, uh, Beth, what is your story? How did you come to connect with the mission of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25? Well, my name is Beth Norris. I lost my youngest son, Nate LaFave, in a car accident on October 11th of 2013. He was uh, 15, just uh, several weeks shy of his 16th birthday, was involved in a car accident. Uh, He and two of his friends were headed to the pumpkin patch, and um, it just was a very, very large intersection road crossing a uh, divided highway, and they were unfortunately uh, he boned and he took the, the brunt of the accident on the passenger side and he died as a result of the accident. And his girlfriend, Maddie, was the driver. She survived as well as their other friend, Carly, who was a backseat passenger on the driver's side, too. Uh, they both survived the accident. They had critical injuries and spent a lot of time in the hospital and in the rehab facility recovering from their injuries. At some point after that, Tom uh, reached out to me and asked me if I would like to be involved with uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. So I joined the board and have been involved with the board and many of their activities, both a walk here in Omaha and the uh, Ice Peak event um, that we do. Hey, well, thank you, Beth. We'll have opportunities to hear more about Nate's story as our conversation unfolds. But I'd like to uh, invite Doug and Sherry uh, into the conversation to share your story and how you came to be connected with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. My wife, uh, Sherry, and I lost our son in a car accident in uh, November of 2014. And uh, obviously a very traumatic time for us, for the family. And shortly thereafter, through uh, another accident um, that was on the previous episode with Tristan White, Sherry and and Tristan's aunt, Christy Nielsen, were good friends. And Christy ended up, uh, was actually Paul's cross-country coach when he was in high school. Those two connected and and got involved in the Pikes Peak Run. And that was the precursor of how we really got involved with the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. Christine, who had lost her her nephew Tristan a year after we lost Paul, and, and she knew I never got to run my marathon with Paul. So she called and asked if I would want to do a run with her. And I said, sure. And then she tells me it's up Pikes Peak, and I'm thinking, oh, good. I've just committed to something. But that got me connected, and we did the spring run to remember. Got to meet a lot of people, and then just from there, we went on to the mountain. And it was just a, an incredible it was just incredible getting to know the Keep Kids Alive family. There was just a love in my heart for this organization that just wants to help hurting families. Well, thank you, Sherry. 
I want to build on that because uh, all three of you have been involved with what I call our Live Forward events. And for those of you who are not familiar with Live Forward, Live Forward is the uh, the piece of the mission of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 that focuses on uh, supporting families and bringing good into the world in honor of their loved ones. Beth and uh, Sherry and Doug have all uh, become engaged in our two signature events over the years. One, uh, which is coming up on June 5th, is uh, our ninth annual Live Forward Run Walk to Remember, which we hold here in Omaha, Nebraska. And then the second of those events is our annual uh, trek to Pikes Peak in Colorado. Beth, you know, what's been your experience of uh, being involved in the Live Forward events? And, uh, you know, what, what kind of stands out for you? Well, I would say uh, the Omaha event it's an annual event, you know, and it's right here. And all of the families seem to have really gotten to know each other fairly well. And so you're seeing the same family year after year and seeing how the right, the other family members have grown and just kind of have been able to, uh, oh, I don't want to say get past, but have been able to just find their new normal, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and how their lives change from year to year as we all meet up at the event in Omaha. It's a lot of fun because you see, I've worked the um, raffle table there. Gosh, I don't know how many years now. <laughs> and I see the same, not just the same families, but the same friends of the family coming out every single year. And I see them at the raffle table every year. You know, I can almost start putting names to these people and they come back and they just, the raffle table is a huge hit and, you know, just everybody's buying tickets and not so much to win the prize. The prizes are great and stuff, but just everybody's there to support the mission. And it's a happy event. There's, you know, people there giving out food and we've had the pancake man there and the state patrols there supporting the event. Um, so they they do like to make it a, you know, a big family event. You know, and especially for the younger kids, try to teach a little bit of traffic safety and stuff at the event, too. So just it gets to be a real, a real fun event. The Pikes Peak event is very, very different. It's usually the immediate families uh, who have been affected by, you know, the person who has died in the car accident and stuff. And a lot of times these families are still coming in with a lot of pain. A lot of isolation, a lot of deer in the headlights look because we're still trying to figure out our lives after losing our family member. And I like to say it's the one weekend of the year where my life is the normal because everybody else in that room has lost a family member in a traffic accident. And so my feelings are the normal feelings in the room don't get that the whole rest of the year. It's just nice to have that weekend where you just look at someone and they look at you and you know exactly what they're feeling. And it's very comforting because when you are, especially a parent like a, me and the troops, we, we have all lost a child in a car accident. You tell that to other people you meet out in your everyday life you get various responses from it, but it ultimately almost always makes the other person so uncomfortable. I find it very awkward at times to even mention that uh, one of my children passed away in a car accident. So the event in Colorado just, to me, it's just like the weekend that I can just say, I'm normal this weekend because everybody around me is in the exact same boat. And it's a weekend of a lot of healing and a lot of tears and a lot of hugging and a lot of accomplishment. And just um, it brings people closer together who where there's there's not an event that I know of that is made to bring families together like this. So it's uh, it's very unique in that. And so I find it very healing to be around the other other families and to be at the Pikes Peak event. Well, thank you, Beth. Uh you know, Doug and Sherry, would you like to share your story about being involved in those events? Sure. We, we really enjoy participating in the Omaha Live Forward Run to Remember. Uh, you know, the first year we did that, we ended up with over 100 participants for Team Paul Troop. 
And, you know, I really wasn't sure what to expect for that day. But seeing all of the people turning out, all of our friends and family, you know, all wearing the the same color T-shirts with Paul's name on the back turned out to be a really good day. You know, I mean, it was uh, the loss of Paul was was just a, a few months back. And so, you know, some of these folks we probably hadn't seen since the funeral. But seeing everybody rally around Sherry and I and Paul's sister, Katie, was was really uplifting for us. You know, I I told Sherry afterwards, I said, you know, I mean, the days are hard, but in the midst of all of that, this was a really good day. And so the last few years, then each year we've, we've continued with great participation. We're so thankful to all of our family and friends for coming alongside with us year after year after year, honoring Paul, doing the walk, doing the run. It really is a great event and it, it, it is a good day. And it, it is getting easier and we've, we've just enjoyed the day. And as Beth alluded to, you know, you see the other families that, that we are in this with and, you know, you can go over and say hi and, and just check in with those folks as well. So th- there's a lot of good camaraderie and fellowship and, and it really ends up being a good day. And then I'd also comment about the Pikes Peak Live Forward event there. I can remember back, I think 2016 was the first year that Sherry did the run. And so I was, uh, was just out there to support her. And Tom, obviously, as you know, we have a big group meeting the night before the run and we're all gathered in the big room and everybody just tells their stories. We go around the room, you know, and there's, there's a lot of tears, a lot of heartache. Again, as Beth said, there's a lot of families that are coming and their event where their loved one was was taken, you know, might just be a few months back. So a lot of love, pain, a lot of heartache. And I can remember the first time we were in that room, I did not want to be there. I wanted to be anywhere but in that room talking about losing Paul and, you know, being in the room and hearing all these other stories. It's, it's overwhelming. I mean, it really is to hear all of the pain and the heartache. You know, obviously, we know we're not alone because this has happened to many, many families. But being there and listening to the stories of some of the other families, how they you know, came across an accident scene. Or I, I think there was one mom from, I think, Wisconsin, where the accident happened right basically in her front yard where her daughter was getting off the bus. And, and she ended up was, a, I think, a paramedic or something like that and you know, tried to revive her own child there in the front yard. You know, I mean, these are horrific events that people are dealing with. And so, you know, being in that room is hard to hear the stories, but I can honestly say, Tom, you know, as, as we've now done this for four years, that it is healing. And, and the first year is a little overwhelming, but as you know, year two, year three, year four, you know, we are, and again, as Beth said, you know, we're, we're now there supporting these other families and telling them, we, we know what you're going through. We've, we've been there. We're here for you. And there, there is such a bond that's created and so much fellowship and, and love in the room and support in the room. You leave that weekend changed. You know, you can just still remember families, the stories and the tears. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good way to honor our loved ones and just come alongside and support the other families. Thank you, Doug. Sherry, would you like to share uh, some of your story? Uh, you were the first troop to trek up the mountain. You know, what was your experience of that? The part that I love the most about the Pikes Peak weekend is we get to be with families and we are free to talk about our loved one. We don't have anybody wanting to cut it up, cut us off, change the subject, whatever. The families there listen to each other. They listen to the stories about their son or their daughter and how they lived their life, not necessarily how they died, but how they lived and how they missed their child. And the encouraging part for me is, is seeing families like Russ Lloyd and Ann who are 10 plus years down the road. And it's an encouraged me to, to me to know that, you know what, I'm going to make it. Our little family, even though we're one less, we're still going to make it. We'll make the next holiday, the next year, that type of thing. And so it's encouraging to see these other families who are five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, and they're still together as as families and they're still 
they're not bitter. They're not angry. They've just learned how to live with it and move forward. And that's what's very precious about the Pikes Peak weekend to me. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, you know, to each of you, I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, Beth, you can get us started if that's okay. Uh, you know, when you, you know, think of Nate, what are some of the qualities that Nate has that just bring joy to you when you think about them? What kind of kid was Nate? I'm going to say, I think Nate knew something was up because I have never seen a kid who lived every moment of his life. Even when he napped, he power napped. Man, that kid could just, uh, we'd be in the car and he'd like power nap for 20 minutes and boy, he would be boom, pop up and he was just full of energy again. That kid just, um, he embraced everything in life and everyone. I would say anybody he was friends with, that person would say that they were Nate's best friend because Nate treated everybody like they were his best friend. Whether if they only saw each other once a month or if they saw each other every single day, that's just how he engaged with everyone. And and not just the friends, the parents of his friends. Um, he had contacts on his cell phone with his friend's parents and he there would be text messages back and forth with his friend's parents just talking about things going on in his life. I just, he, he was just engaged with everyone he met. It was just, um, never seen that in a child. I have a, two other sons, his two older brothers and, um, you know, there's, they're social people and have their groups of friends, but just nothing like Nate was. Nate was just very engaged and he was a very driven person. Sometimes it drove me crazy, <laughs> um, but just very, very driven in the things that he did. And sometimes it sucked me into things, too. It'd be the phone call. Mom, 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 mom. What? I want to do this. How are you going to do that? Well, don't you want to do that, too? So just, you know, this gets kind of sucked into some crazy things because he wanted to do it and um, pulled me in to do it. But just he loved school. He loved sports. He loved his music. He played He played guitar. He, he was in a band with his friends. They even put on a concert once. His life plan was, um, he was out at uh, Mount Michael Benedictine School in Elkhorn outside of Omaha. It's an all-boys Catholic boarding and day school. And he was a boarding student out there. And his life plan was, he was going to go to one of the academies, Army, Navy, hadn't decided yet. He was only 15. Uh, become a Navy SEAL because he had met some Navy SEALs down at a Husker football game event. And then be a rock star. And then go back to Mount Michael and be a history teacher. I'm not sure how he planned to figure out how to do all that, but he was going to do all three of those things in his career path in his life. So, I mean, school was a priority. His music was a priority. He uh, ran cross country and played soccer for the school. So my actual qualifying event for my first run at Pikes Peak was the Lincoln Half Marathon, which Nate and I had run in May of 2013, you know, just a couple months before he died. So I was still able to use that event to be my qualifying event to register for the Pikes Peak event. So that always kind of held a special place in my heart that my qualifying event was with Nate. But boy, he could have an attitude, too. <laughs> I mean, not the most PC word, but we called him Mr. Pissy Pants <laughs> when uh, he was in a grumpy mood. I think it's because he was just driven so much, you know, so that even when he was kind of, you know, not happy about something, he was driven to be not happy about it to the max. I just kind of believe in my heart of hearts that he knew he wasn't long for this earth. So he lived every single moment to the extreme. I've never seen that in another person. Well, thanks for, thanks for uh, introducing us a little bit more to Nate. I want to ask Sherry if you could introduce us to Paul uh, and then ask Doug to, to add on to all of that. Could you do that for us, Sherry? I can. Paul was just a young man, just full of life. And he saw the best in people. He didn't 
didn't judge you, didn't any of that. He just saw the best in people. And it was his heart to draw that out of people. He had so many friends and just, he went to Iowa State and he saw some kids back from Omaha at Iowa State with him. And and he was always, you know, go Huskers or how's your classes going? Can I help you? Uh, what classes are you in? Can I help you pick up or faster? What's your plan for the next few years? And And he was just always that way, wanting to help people and just, wanting them to do their very best. And Paul had just an infectious smile. It was hard to be grumpy around him because he was just never in a in a bad mood. He loved school. He loved life and just everything about it. Paul and I were just great friends. We only had, he was our only son. And from a very young age, he just loved sports. He had it. John Elway was his favorite you know, football player. And so we followed the Denver Broncos he liked San Antonio Spurs and Tim Duncan. So we were big San Antonio Spurs fans. And of course, he loved his Husker football. So he and I spent just countless hours watching sporting events. And, and fortunately, we were able to go to some of the sporting events. He you know, played baseball, played golf, was in cross country during high school. So you know, sports was a big part of, of our relationship. And so we, we just really enjoyed hanging out together and just, you know, kind of doing the dad and father son things. We'd gone on some father son golf outings with a few others. And, uh, you know, so, so he and I just would do everything together. We just had, had so much fun, but you know, I, I, Paul was a young man of high integrity. He took his schoolwork very seriously and academically. He did very, very well. He really was able to, Link doing well in, in high school, in his classes, things like that, that would allow him to pursue his college career and ultimately what he wanted to do with his profession, which was to be an aerospace engineer. And uh, as Sherry mentioned, he went to Iowa State and became an aerospace engineer and was working for Boeing uh, at the time he was killed in the accident. So he had accomplished those dreams you know, he, he, you know, he certainly had a certain amount of drive there to succeed and to, to, to put forth effort and to do his very best. You know, he, he, again, with this, had a high, had a high standard for himself and, and he called his friends up to that higher standard as well. And so, you know, we just, um, we're very proud of the young man that he had become. And, uh, you know, we just had, we had such high hopes for, for his future, again, you know, he and, and his wife, Sarah, we haven't talked about that yet, but Paul had been married right after he graduated from college. He had met his, his wife, Sarah, at Iowa State. They were married two weeks after they graduated and married about six months at the time of the accident. But both Paul and Sarah were aerospace engineers, and we were just so excited to see what the future held for the two of them to be together as a couple and, and each individually, but just, um, you know, just obviously extremely proud of, of the young man that he had become. Well, thank you, Doug. You know, to each of you, and uh, you can chime in as, uh, as you feel uh, moved to do so, you know, just a couple questions, you know, what have you learned about how to live forward from your experience and, uh, and what might you offer as direction and hope for other families who have gone through uh, similar circumstances in life? I'll go ahead and, and jump in first. You know, the, the morning we got the call that there had been an accident, there's nothing that's going to prepare you for that call. You know, I specifically remember the call with the emergency room attending physician where she told me that they were unable to save Paul, that his injuries were too severe and that Paul had passed away. It's just not something you, you, you plan for. So it was, it was extremely, extremely hard for us. And, you know, it is taken a lot of time. We are now about five and a half years from the accident. And it's just been a long five years. I mean, I'm being very honest. You know, there's just, there are so many triggers that bring a memory of Paul to mind, whether it's certain make and model of a car like he drove or something related to Iowa State, whether it's a sporting event at Iowa State or something like that. You know, the seasons as they change, as the Husker football season starts, that certainly brings back the 
fact that we had Husker season tickets for about 10 years and, you know, went to a hundred plus Husker football games together over the years, you know, watching the baseball game, you know, same sporting event that we probably had shared together, you know, so there's just so many triggers during the day that bring back memories. And the first few years of those memories, the tears followed with the memories. And I can honestly say now that, you know, really at about the five year mark for me, I'm able to, you know, when the, when those triggers still come and I think of Paul or something that, you know, you're just kind of going about your every, your normal day and then something happens to trigger a, a memory of Paul, then I'm able to now think fondly about Paul and about the things we did and whatever that specific trigger was, whether it was something about his wedding day or a trip we had taken or a place we had gone together, something like that. I can now look back at the memories without the tears and, you know, and smile and maybe, you know, laugh to myself a little bit about some of the funny memories there, but it it has taken a lot of time. And so for other families that are going through this, my advice is grief is a process. You know, grief will be a part of my life. I think for the rest of my time here on this earth, you know, the the loss of Paul is always going to be there. It's not too far from the surface, but, but you do learn to, to move forward. You, you know, you will survive. You will laugh again. You will have good days. You'll have some not so good days. I mean, obviously the anniversary days of his birthday or the day of the accident, or his wedding anniversary. I mean, these are hard days, but, but you will get through those days. And again, about the five year mark, kind of when I turned the corner and was able to, to really laugh and, just start to really enjoy life and kind of get back to being my normal self. Thank you, Doug. Beth or uh, Sherry, would you want to anything to add to that? I I think Doug, Doug did a really great job of describing it. It is, I mean, the initial years, the tears come so easily. Yeah. And then about five years, that's probably about when, yeah, I would say I probably hit a turning point, too. My boys, uh, they were 19 and 20 um, when Nate died. That was a tough age uh, for them to lose their brother. It's It's been a longer haul for those two. And just getting those two, Nick and Chris, to a good point in their life has been... Um, it's been a road. It's been a tough road to travel. It's been six and a half years since Nate's accident. And he, even both of those guys are now at a good point. And, and they like to talk about Nate and they like to talk about our family trips or memories, you know, just growing up uh, together. Sherry, do you have anything that you would like to include? Yeah, the one thing I learned about after losing Paul was that Grief is so unique to each person. Things that bothered Doug didn't necessarily bother me and vice versa. But yet I needed to allow him to grieve over the things that mattered to him. And I just had to accept that his grief would look different than mine, then it looked different than our daughter Katie's. And that's a big thing people need to understand is everybody's going to walk this journey differently because your relationship with your loved one was different. Everybody's relationship was different with that individual. So everybody's grief is different. But just to take advantage of every day, because it was a gift that we got. Yeah, we lost out on so many things in Paul's life, but yet it was a gift that we got to see him graduate high school. We got to see him graduate college. We got to see him get married. And yes, we never got grandchildren or any of those things. But we can look back and say, look at all the great things we did get to have with Paul. And that's part of just being able to just look back and say, thank you for what I did get instead of focusing on everything I missed out on. And it takes a while to get there, but it's very precious when you can finally turn that corner and see that. Wow, some powerful, uh, powerful insights born out of of real life experience. Uh, I really thank you for, for sharing those.
Well, I want to kind of transition here a little bit and uh, just ask the question, uh, you know, how have the Live Forward events that you've been involved in connected you with the mission of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25? You know, Beth has uh, been involved in our board in the past, and uh, Doug and Sherry are current board members, and uh, Doug is uh, our new board chair starting this year in 2020. And so uh, you each have made a, a contribution that's unique for our organization. And so just like to hear about, you know, how those Live Forward events ended up connecting you with our, our broader mission. Well, yeah, after we lost Paul and then got involved with the Keep Kids Alive through these events, you know, I, I you know, certainly realized the passion that you have and, you know, for the mission of Keep Kids Alive and the fact that, you know, you haven't gone through this, but yet you have seen hundreds and hundreds of families that have my hats off to you for your ministry to really reach out to the families. And, and I see how passionate you are and how serious you are about keeping our streets safe. And so your passion has rubbed off on me. You know, as soon as I, I met you, I told Sherry, boy, I'd really like to somehow figure out a way to get on the board of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. Because I share that passion, you know, now that we've gone through the loss of Paul, you know, watching the nightly news and the stories around the country of these accidents where, you know, there are several fatalities and things like that. You know, Sherry and I comment, wow, we we know what these families are going through, you know, the, the shock of the first 24 hours and planning these funerals and things like that. You know, my heart grieves for these families. And so... I am very passionate about the mission to keep our streets safe, to talk about distracted driving and the other uh, outreaches and programs that Keep Kids Alive offers communities around the country. It, It has become a very, very high priority and focus for me. In talking with friends, uh, we have a gentleman that is kind of our, our go-to Uber driver and we'd get in the car and he wouldn't be wearing a seatbelt. And I'm like, Joe, we're not going to get in this car and take this trip until you buckle your seatbelt. Life's, as we said, life is too short. And so with my other family members, with friends at work, you know, the, the distracted driving and the texting while driving and the cell phone use while driving, is it, it just can't happen. And we need to continue to remind ourselves and really everyone we come in contact with that when we're behind the wheel, our job is to be behind the wheel. And we need to put down all the other distractions and just drive. There are so many times where, and we've all seen it, we're driving down the road and people are weaving in and out of traffic. They are driving well above the speed limits. They're not stopping at the stop signs. There's a cell phone in one hand, you know, and and who knows what else in the other hand while they're trying to drive. And and driving in and of itself is a hard task uh, where you have to pay attention. We've connected with some other folks here. And Tom, I want to share some things with you from this other gentleman who lost his daughter in a distracted driving accident uh, up in Minnesota in 2016. He said that when you come to a stop sign or a street light and you pull out your phone and you glance down and see if there's a text or an email or something like that, it takes 20 seconds. And when you put that phone down and then look at the intersection that you're at, it takes 20 seconds for you to reorient yourself to the traffic flows, the traffic lights, the, the other vehicles, pedestrians, things like that. It takes 20 seconds to really get your brain fully engaged where you are seeing everything that's going on in that intersection. Cars coming from the left, the right coming at you, left turn signals, pedestrian walk, don't walks, uh, you know, th- those kinds of things. It takes 20 seconds. And uh, that was a staggering figure to me. I never would have thought that it would take 20 seconds, but that's what their research shows. And so, Folks need to understand this. You know, you, you pull up to an intersection and you look over to the left or right and nobody's looking at the traffic light. They're looking down at their phones. You know, the traffic light changes. And, you know, if you're 
you know, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're watching the traffic light, you know, you're proceeding and make sure the traffic stopped. And it, how many times do you see somebody in the le- lane to your left or to your right that are still on their phones and there's a tap of the horn for somebody behind them? And it's obvious they're a distracted driver. So this is, you know, your passion has become my passion. And that is why I have joined the board and taken on the board chair to, to really get this message out and, and make sure that we are doing everything we can to make our streets safe. And, and one more comment I'll add is, is that our banquet last uh, November, we had the chief of police from the city of Omaha. And his, his comments were right on. He said, you know, the city of Omaha, we can, uh, you know, the police officers can write some tickets. They can do a law enforcement action in the neighborhood and write a hundred tickets. And, you know, for the next week or two or three weeks, you know, that neighborhood is probably the speeds are driving lower. Folks are stopping at the stop signs and they're paying more attention, but that enforcement action is short lived. And, you know, 60 days from there, people's behavior is back to what it was. And so the mission of Keep Kids Alive, Drive 25, is really to change behavior. And that is the way that we are going to reduce the number of traffic deaths in this country. You know, there's 100 or 110 people on average die every day on the streets in this country. And that is unacceptable. I mean, it just it just really is to think that there's a 100 families or so every day that are going through what Beth and Sherry and I have gone through and, and what the whites have gone through and these other families, you know, it's, it's just unacceptable. And so we, we as a nation need to come together and change behavior. We need to drive speed limits. We need to obey the traffic signs. Uh, we need to use our turn signals and, and let other you know, be more courteous drivers and let others know what our intent is that we are going to stop. We are going to turn. I could, I could go on for the whole hour here talking about my frustration <laughs> with people that don't use the traffic turn signals, uh, you know, changing lanes and, and, you know, Sherry knows I flash my lights. I honk at people when they do that, you know, trying to just remind them to be a more courteous driver. So I'll let uh, Sherry and Beth uh, add their comments now. Well, Doug, it reminds me that when I've done numerous neighborhood presentations over the years, and and it always seems to come as a shock to people who live right in a neighborhood that uh, the people most responsible for safety on and along roadways are the people who actually live in that neighborhood. It's our behaviors that dictate what may or may not happen, and uh, that the best people to solve a problem are the people who cause the problem in the first place. So, you know, if, if we're the speeders, then we have to become the people who observe the speed limit or go slower according to the conditions. You know, if we're the person who's been on the cell phone, uh, if we need to throw that in the trunk in order to focus on the task at hand, which is driving, then we need to do that. But that's those are things that are honestly in our control and that, uh, you know, we need to be aware of every single time we get behind the wheel. Having said that, uh, Beth, uh, Sherry, would you like to add on anything, you know, just in terms of what vision and hopes you have for Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 when you think about the mission continuing to, uh, to grow? The thing I love about Drive tw- Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 is the effort that has been made to, what are they, public service announcements where they have those, those little commercials out or whatever that talks about, you know, eyes up, phones down, those just the simple little things that we can say and remind one another of about paying attention when we're driving. And then to be as parents, to be aware that our kids are watching us. They may be three or four or eight or nine or whatever, but they are future drivers and they do pay attention to what we do. And so, like you've all said, we have to change our behaviors in order for everyone to be safer on the roads, including those future drivers in the back seat or wherever they may be sitting in the car with you. Thank you, Sherry. Beth, did you have anything you'd like to add? If you look at what's going on in the world today, um, we're right in the middle of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, and you're watching the, the United States just grind to a halt, and uh, people are staying in their homes to not spread the virus. Boy, it would be awesome if we could just get that kind of momentum be, behind us because traffic deaths are 
an epidemic in the United States and worldwide, but it, it seems like it's socially acceptable because people want the freedom to speed or to be on their phones while they drive and stuff. So there's just not the um, public outrage globally about traffic deaths like there are right now with the coronavirus. And it would just be awesome if we could just elevate traffic deaths to the uh, level that like coronavirus is right now. And the passion that people have in preventing the coronavirus, we could get that into safe driving skills and, you know, safe biking and motorcycles and walking skills across the street. If we could just elevate to that level, I, it would just just be, you know, empower such a change uh, across the U.S. and across the world. And, you know, that's what that's the grassroots that uh, Keep Kids Alive started with. And that's what we're that's what we're aiming for. You know, Beth, that reminds me of, you know, the two most important questions I always think to ask is that uh, in terms of, you know, why would we behave ourselves uh, either even behind the wheel or when we're a passenger in the car or when we're uh, acting as a pedestrian or a cyclist uh, or just walking around the neighborhood? Who do you love and who loves you? Uh, Because our answers to those questions should be all the motivation we ever need in order to uh, to slow down, to put the cell phone aside, to buckle up, to keep a, a safe distance between vehicles, you know, and we think about those same questions as uh, uh, we live through this uh, COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. Is that it's the same question? Would we socially distance ourselves? Why would we self quarantine? Why would we do a remote podcast? It's about the people we love and the people who love us. You know, that uh, we care enough to engage in those behaviors. And so it's really applying those same lessons that we're living and learning uh, now to our driving behaviors as well. I want to finish with a a few uh, a few questions uh, that uh, when you think about our our conversation and your experience of being involved with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, what do you think our listeners could do to become engaged in our mission, either on an individual level or if you think about a, a communal involvement or community involvement in some way? What would you say to folks who are listening out there? You know, I, I'd certainly like to see folks, you know, take an active role into their communities and their neighborhoods. The Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 has several resources that folks can uh, partake of, we, we have the, certainly the yard signs. And Tom, I know you could tell the story of the effect of the yard signs and just having the, a yard sign and, you know, out there does in fact help remind drivers to, to drive 25. And, you know, I mean, the, the symbols of the children playing is a, is a great reminder that, you know, for, for all the drivers in the neighborhood to be on alert. So, we have those resources, Tom. I know that you have uh, been very involved in speaking at high schools and community groups. So I would encourage them if, if they would like to get a Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 campaign started in their neighborhood to go to the website and reach out to you. And you and I and the other board members are willing to come to, you know, really anywhere around the country where there's an interest to start a campaign. So, you know, we're a resource here. We want to get our message out. You know, we certainly have the, um, the Omaha running event. And, you know, as we as a board are looking at some other events in some other cities where we have a, you know, a good nucleus of support, maybe doing some, some, uh, things in the, in these other cities outside of Omaha, but come to the run and then meet Tom, meet myself, meet Beth or Sherry or some of the other families. We have an annual fundraising banquet. That will be held October 27th in Omaha this year, assuming that we're past the coronavirus. We'll have that event. And, you know, we, we would love to have folks come and, and participate there and, and hear the mission. And we're still working on, on a speaker this year, but we've got a couple of, of great speakers to choose from here. One of the other things uh, that we have, and, and we don't have this available yet right now, but in the near future, we're going to have something available through the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 uh, website. 
is something, uh, you know, I'm just going to call it a, a cell phone slip. And what it is, is just it's a little sleeve that you can put your cell phone in while you are driving. And the, I don't understand it, but the fabric and the technology and the design of this material will block the cell phone signal from activating your phone. So you get in your car, you drop your cell phone into this little slip, set it on the seat next to you, and you can drive and you don't have to worry about getting a beep or a ding or a phone call. And then when you get to your destination, you just pull your cell phone out of there. Your phone's already on. It reconnects your signal and you're back in business and you're communicating with the world. We're getting an order put in and going to have the, the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 logo on these. And, you know, it's a nominal fee here. But I would encourage our listeners, you know, and, and I'm going to encourage the parents. Let's buy these cell phone slips for our teenage kids and get them in the hands of all of the high school kids and those that are texting and you know, on the phone while they're driving. I mean, this is just, it's just a few dollars. It'll, it'll help support our mission, but you know, it could save a lot of lives. So, you know, we have resources, we have some events, Tom, you know, and the other board members were, were willing to come and speak. So feel free to reach out to us. Let's get engaged. KKAD25.org. And, and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to, to come and support you because we want to, we don't want any other families to go through what we ourselves are going through. Thank you, Doug. Uh, you teed up the yard signs. And so, you know, I will mention that a study was done in Oceanside, California when they did a yard sign campaign and they showed a 16% reduction in average speeds in the neighborhood that they had targeted that had the highest verifiable incidence of speeding in their city. You know, it's good to know that when a community mobilizes and helps get a message out uh, consistently that it can uh, make a difference that way. But I was thinking too, with the cell phone slips that uh, maybe there are a few teenagers out there that would want to purchase one and give them to their parents as well. <laughs> you know, so Little reminder to, to be the example that we need to be for, uh, for our young people. Well, this, this actually kind of circles back to maybe the previous question, but ties in with the cell phones. People are like, Oh, my kids have to have a cell phone. Kids have to get in touch with them or if they have an accident or something or if they need me. You know, when, when Nate, when they had their accident, nobody was on their cell phone. It was not a factor in the accident, but he had a cell phone with him. He still died. I was at home, had my cell phone with me. He had an accident and he still died. A cell phone does not prevent a family member from getting in an accident and from dying in an accident. Uh, but it certainly causes a lot of accidents and causes a lot of deaths. So there's a lot of times anymore. I don't go out with my cell phone. I leave it at home. You know, uh, I grew up that way. We all grew up that way. Nobody had cell phones. You know, we didn't have to know what was going on right the instant it was going on. And life, life was good. Cell phone and cell phone usage in a car, they, they just don't, they don't go together. And I, I just, I just can't emphasize that enough. Like Doug said, none of us, none of us want to see another family go through this. It's horrific. Um, most of the times we don't get a final goodbye. Our family member is gone before we even know there was an accident. There's no final goodbye. There's no preparation for it, like maybe with a, a terminal illness where the family can kind of lead up to it. It just is one second. Your life is happy, normal. The next second, it's been ripped to shreds. And we we just don't want more families going through that. So please reach out to us and let us get involved in your community and in your neighborhood and in your schools, because we want to be there stopping the next family that's going to have to go through this. All I can say is for those of us that have lost loved ones through car accidents is share your story. Tell people so that they know that, yes, my child died because someone was either on their cell phone or 
or they were, you know, joking around with the other teenagers in the car or whatever the case may be, but we need to get the message out. And so be proactive about getting that message out, however it works. And and we have so many resources on our website that can be used that you can use to help get that message out in your neighborhood, in your community, amongst your circle of friends. Well, thank you, Sherry. Last question that I have to ask is, uh, you know, how has your involvement with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 changed you or made a difference? I would say it, it's it's been very healing. It, it's been very healing, especially doing the uh, Pikes Peak event. Like I said, we had done the Lincoln Half Marathon uh, the year he died. He's the one who talked me into that. Uh, so that definitely would have been a race he would have loved to have tried. Yeah, it's it's been very healing that race for myself and then just being part of other families, um, just being able to connect with them and stuff. It's been very eye-opening too, um, just to see everybody else's stories too and how they how they've all unfolded and how their lives have gone on since then too. So it's 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 been a great place to uh focus uh my energies to uh, kind of help get me through the grief process and stuff. There's, there, there's a lot of energy that you got to do something with after um, a death like this. So that's been helpful in uh, allowing me to focus my energies in a positive way. Yeah, I, I would echo Beth's comments. I've had to take a, a look in the mirror and, and examine my own driving habits. And, you know, certainly tried to do my best to change those and comply with, you know, all of the traffic signals. You know, one of the things I probably was a little too aggressive with was, you know, when, you know, sometimes you see the light turn yellow and that's the invitation to hit the accelerator and make that light because I'm you know, running late or whatever the case might be. Well, certainly not my, uh, <laughs> my preferred action these days. When that light turns yellow, it's doing everything I can to brake safely and and stop from going through a yellow light. I've really tried to um, become a better, safer driver. You know, first and foremost, you know, and, and Tom, one of the other statistics that you've thrown out was that the whole notion of keep kids alive, drive twenty five. It's it's twenty five is not just because it's a nice even number, you know, multiple of five. You know, the statistics show that at twenty five miles an hour, a child under the age of ten has a much much higher chance of surviving if they are involved in a pedestrian act, you know, car pedestrian accident than if you're driving thirty. And you think, well, five miles an hour difference in speed is not that much. It's, you know, it's a 20% increase in your speed. And there's so much more energy for a car traveling 30 miles an hour versus 25. And I don't remember the exact statistic, but, you know, there's a 20% less chance that a child will survive an accident if the car's traveling at 30 miles an hour versus 25 or, or something to that effect. I mean, it's, it's a meaningful, noticeable difference. And so the notion of 25 miles an hour in a residential area is an absolute must. And so, again, these are just some things that I really hadn't thought about, hadn't processed. And so being involved with Keep Kids Alive has really opened my eyes personally to my own driving habits. And and again, I don't have any problem if I'm a passenger in a car and you look over and you see that speed limit, you know, crossing 30 and you're in the neighborhood. It's like, sorry, friend, we're still in the neighborhood. Can we please slow down? Can we keep it at 25? So uh, I've just tried to become a, a safer driver and, and just see the whole road and, and, and get from point A to point B safely and encourage others to do that. Also to, to chime in with Beth and that is, you know, being involved with Keep Kids Alive has helped in my healing and my grief process, you know, we know we're not alone, but meeting the other families and being a, a resource and a source of comfort and support for them, especially for these newer families that are just a year or so into their journey. Hopefully that we can, and even as Sherry alluded to, you know, the families that are five and 10 and 15 years into this, we can see that they survive. So that's, that's a hope and encouragement for me that yes, I am going to survive. 
and we can pass that on to the others that we know as well that are going through this. Thank you, Doug. Uh, you know, some of the things you said reminded me of a uh, a quote, something that David Townsend said to me probably almost 20 years ago when his 10-year-old daughter, uh, Tia, she was struck uh, while crossing a marked crosswalk at a stop sign with her friend, and the first car stopped, but the car behind that car, that driver decided to go around because they were in such a hurry, and you know, sadly, uh, struck and, and killed Tia and injured her friend. And Tia's dad, David, he said to me, he said, you know, don't let the two minutes you save be the last two minutes of someone's life. I mean, it's a it's a pretty sobering statement to be made by, by somebody who knows all too well that two minutes, it made all the difference in the world. To me, one of the things we always need to be mindful of is that statistics are not simply statistics. They are people, and they are the people that we love and the people who love us. And so, uh, you know, with that, I, I guess, Sherry, I, I we give you the last word on this question, if you'd like to add anything. The beauty of Keep Kids Alive, Drive 25, is the opportunity that we have to uh, be real and be honest with others who have walked that same road. Like Beth said earlier, they get you. When you talk about the loss of your child, they get it. They understand the pain and the loss. And so being able to not only vocalize it yourself, but be a listener to someone else so they can vocalize it and be a part of that. And to remember that, like you said, these are not statistics. These are people. These are somebody's son and daughter or parent or whatever the case may be. This is something real that we're talking about. Not just another statistic, not just more data, but we're talking about people. That's what we can't forget. It's about a person. And the organization gives us a place where we can just make a difference. You know what? I lost on my child for whatever reason. They were called out of this world. But that doesn't mean that I can't fight so that, some, so that my neighbor or a stranger down the road doesn't lose their child. And that's what a part of being Keep Kids Alive was, is about, is, is fighting for other families so they don't walk this road that we've had to walk. Well, thank you, Sherry. Do any of you have any final thoughts you'd want to share? I think we just need to remind people a car is a lethal weapon and it does need to be treated that way. I would just say that being involved with Keep Kids Alive has been has been a huge blessing in our lives. When we lost Paul, we didn't know what to do tomorrow, the next day. And, and this has become a great ministry for us, for our passion and our energy to to reach out. You know, I cycle a lot. I run a lot around on the streets. And there are so many times where a car is, again, we just talked running a, a red light or, you know, doesn't, doesn't see us, you know, as a pedestrian, as a cyclist, you have to, you know, be on the lookout because the drivers aren't paying attention. They're not alert. And I would also say as a pedestrian or a cyclist, we have to be doubly alert you know, we, we can't be walking across streets, you know, on our cell phones. We, you know, we have to be paying attention when we're trying to cross at a crosswalk or operate a motorcycle or a bicycle or whatever in traffic. You know, we need to be paying attention, too. So the pedestrians can't be distracted. Drivers can't be distracted. Let's all get along out there. Let's get from point A to point B safe and everybody go home to their loved ones at the end of the day. So thanks for what you do, Tom. We are privileged to come alongside you in this organization that you founded 27 years ago. And we, you know, we hope it's, uh, it's going to grow and move forward. And we'll be still be talking about Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, 20 years from now. Well, thank you, Sherry and Doug and uh, Beth. I really appreciate you joining us for this third edition of our podcast. We look forward to, uh, to others joining us in the months ahead to share their stories and uh, to invite us into their journey for traffic safety. I want to just wrap up with a note about something that's coming up here in May in a way that all of our listeners can support us. So, uh, 
special invitation to all our listeners, which extend to your family, friends, and colleagues as well. May 1st through the 20th marks Keep Kids Alive Drive 25's ninth year participation in an event called Omaha's Gives uh, here in our hometown. It's an online celebration of giving on behalf of donors in support of our mission. Your support through donations of as little as $1 or more helps us to make our mission possible, to make streets safe for all who walk, cycle, play, drive, and ride in communities of all sizes throughout the U.S. and even beyond. You also help to support our Live Forward families in bringing good into the world in honor of loved ones who died due to traffic incidents. On May 1st through the 20th, you can donate by visiting kkad25.org, our website, and clicking on the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 Omaha Gives logo and pledging your support. Doing so can help us to qualify for up to $4,000 in bonus dollars that we can apply to our mission all year long. Please remember your generous giving keeps kids of all ages living. And thank you in advance for your generosity. Safe travels to all our listeners. Thank you for listening in.